Oh, good morning, Genesis Church. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. My name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're uh, new with us, uh, we love having you here today. And um, man, I was up this morning. Uh, I always like to get up a little early to kind of do some work to get my heart ready for for sharing. But uh, as also was reading in my Bible and Psalm 100 today, talking about giving thanks to Him and praising His name for all the good things that He's doing in our lives. I, I just spent a moment just kind of writing some things down. I just want you to know one of the things I wrote down was just this church family. Um, I love Genesis Church. I'm so thankful uh, for all of you and uh, love doing life with you. Uh, one of the things I continually pray for our church is that God would continue to grow us in faith, uh, but that he'd also continue to grow us stronger together in community and relationships. Uh, that's one of the big reasons why I love Genesis Church. And so we're glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for all that you do and, and happy Thanksgiving to you. So, uh, But um, hey, if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 4 today. Uh, we're going to look uh, at a few different passages in the book of Genesis, and then we're going to skip over uh, to the New Testament and spend a little more time there. But uh, before we continue, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thanks for uh, Genesis Church, Lord. Uh, we love being a part of this church family. We thank you for what you're doing here and uh, what you're doing through our lives and what you've been doing in this series, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would use this time and space today to speak to our hearts, uh, that we would hear from you, God, and that it would be our desire to follow uh, and to obey the things that you have for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, our Savior, that we've been worshiping this morning for the life and hope that we have through him. Uh, we pray that uh, he would be glorified, you would be glorified, Lord, in all that we do and all that I say this morning. Uh, give me words. Again, give us ears to hear. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> On May 18th, 1980, Mount St. Helens, which is located in western Washington, erupted, triggering a massive collapse of the north face of the mountain. It was the largest known debris avalanche recorded in all of history. The, uh, as you can see from the picture here, the collapse of the northern flank mixed with ice, snow, and water, get this, traveled a distance of 19 miles at a rate of 300 miles per hour, devastating everything that was in its path. Uh, for more than nine hours, a plume of ash erupted into the sky, eventually reaching 12 to 16 miles above sea level. Uh, the plume of smoke and ash continued eastward with ash reaching the state of Idaho by noon. Ashes from the eruption were found on top of cars and roofs as far away uh, as Canada. I was talking to Chris Lose uh, after the first service. He was playing the guitar this morning in the service. He lived in Portland at the time and talked about how having the jars of ash that they collected there uh, in the city as it fell like snow. But thankfully, the eruption wasn't a complete surprise. There, there were clues going back as early as March of that year when a 4.2 earthquake rocked the mountain. Uh, in a matter of days, steam started venting through its peak. And by the end of April, the north face of the mountain, uh, as scientists noticed, began to bulge as much as five feet per day. Scientists knew something big was going to happen and in the end 57 people lost their lives but many more would have uh, if it wouldn't have been for the warnings and the appropriate steps taken by the experts 
Um, I, I don't know how you see things today or if you're paying attention, but we, as we've been talking about these last couple of weeks, have another growing problem in our country. Call them clues to an even greater crisis that's emerging on the horizon. It's certainly a problem that our world is facing, especially uh, our country, and that is a, a financial problem. Uh, as we mentioned, $33 trillion in debt as a nation and growing, uh, out of control spending with little effort or activity to help slow it down. But it's not just a national problem either. We, we know, many of us know that it's a personal one too. Somebody, some of you are, are feeling the pains of, uh, of some of the financial challenges that, that you're living in right now or that others around you are living in. As, as mentioned last week, the average American household has at least $15,000 in debt today, uh, $34,000 in student loan debt. 1.5 million households declare bankruptcy each year. Uh, too many people live month to month, paycheck to paycheck. Uh, so many of us are left hoping that maybe something will be left over to retire one day. It, it can be any number of things, right? And sometimes it's humbling to admit this, but I think on so many occasions we call it a, a more problem. Uh, that there's, this, there's something in us that, that wants to believe that having more is the answer. If I could just have a little more of this, that, that more is better, that more will make our, make our lives easier, that more will, will satisfy us. And, and what's this all-out pursuit of more getting us? Well, more stress, anxiety, and greed and discontentment, to be sure. Add to that struggling uh, marriages and relationships and, and sometimes over things like money, the topic of money and finances, uh, too many people living in a, a perpetual state of fear. I mean, I know our, our, as, as Christians, our faith suffers because of it. You know, because of it, we, we struggle to trust. That's the bad news for sure. The good news is this, that the good news is that God has something better for you. He really does. He's got something better for you and for me, a, a better plan for the way you and I think about and the way that we manage money, but, but like most things, God's not going to force this on you. He, he leaves the choice to us. It's yours and mine to choose. We're, we're continuing this series today, week three, called Less is More. We're, we're looking at what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about money and resources and generosity, and I want to just say this right off the top, that money is not evil. Like there's nothing within money itself that, that makes it, it makes it evil. There, there, there's nothing wrong with money, making more money or spending money. It's okay to travel. It's okay to buy a home. It's okay to use money for recreation and for hobbies and for the things that we enjoy. It's okay to have money as, as long as it doesn't have us. And that's usually where the problem comes in, that we, we put our faith in money. We look to, to money for security. We hope that more money will satisfy, and it can't. At least it can't in the same way that Jesus will satisfy us. And so I want you to hear me say that this series is not about you having less money. No, the answer is more of Jesus. The answer is more of Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Like he wants to be the Lord and the leader of everything that we do and the way that we live. And last week, Steve was back with us. I hope that you had a chance to hear him and uh, enjoyed him sharing again from the stage. But he made the distinction between viewing our money and possession as resources to manage versus idols that we worship. Today, I want to talk with you about overcoming the, the grip of fear that is often associated with money and the the fear that there'll never be enough because God doesn't want any of us living in fear. 
He has something far better for us, far better for you, a way of living that decreases the fear and increases our faith and our trust in him. And surprisingly, giving and generosity plays a role in that. And so again, if you've got your Bibles, Genesis chapter 4, we're going to look at a few passages here again, and then we're going to skip over to the New Testament in just a moment. But have you ever wondered where this idea of giving comes from? I want to look at three early examples that we see in the Bible. Let's look at example number one in Genesis chapter 4. In the second half of verse 2, picking it up there, here's what we read. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And so right away we discover that we've got two brothers. And as Genesis points out here that we have two different jobs, we have two different occupations in these brothers. Abel was a a shepherd. Cain, on the other hand, was a farmer, and they both give an offering to God, but for some reason, Abel's offering was more favorable. Why? Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And so we have Cain here, the farmer. He offered fruits and vegetables from his crops. Abel, on the other hand, the shepherd, noticed that he offered fat portions from his. What's the difference? Well, I promise you it isn't that God likes bacon than more than he likes fruits and vegetables. No, I want you to notice that it says in the course of time, Cain gave from some of his fruits and vegetables. The implication here is that Cain gave an ordinary, unimpressive sort of assortment of crops back to the Lord, while Abel, on the other hand, gave from the fat portions, which were viewed as the best and the choice cuts of meat. What made Abel's gift more pleasing then? God noticed the intent behind his gift. He noticed the intentions coming from Abel's heart and his life. You could say that Abel gave his best back to God, not the leftovers, and he gave it first, and it got God's attention. Example number two, Genesis chapter 8. We've got a boat guy, a guy by the name of Noah. He steps out of the ark in Genesis chapter 8, and look what he did, picking up in verse 15. It says, Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. And then skipping over to verse 20, look what Noah does. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The point I want you to see is this, that even very early on in the Old Testament, we see a pattern of God's people giving offerings back to God as an act of gratitude and worship. And again, I want, I want you to notice the intent behind their gifts. The implication is that they gave their best and that they made their giving a priority. One more example real quick, example number three, this time in the life of a guy named Abraham. Genesis chapter 14, Abraham is returning victoriously from battle, and on his way home, he encounters a man, a mysterious man, uh, by the name of Melchizedek. 
Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. There's a few clues here that we see in the text. The text says that Melchizedek was both a priest and a king of God Most High. And while we don't know for certain, scholars believe that this man is actually the manifestation of Jesus, which means that this is a very special encounter for both Abraham and for God. But look at Abraham's response to him in verse 20. It says that he gave him a tenth of everything. Now, the word tenth here is also translated as the word tithe. And if you've been around church at all, any point in your life or for some time, chances are you've heard this word before. The word tithe, it's simply a mathematical term that means tenth or 10%. And eventually, by the time we get to the period of the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, giving a tithe or a tenth of your income back to God was a normal way of living for God's people. But what's interesting about Abraham, who lived many years before this period in Exodus, is that he gave voluntarily. And what a great observation then that the very first example we have in the Bible of a tithe or a tenth given back to God flowed not from a command, but from a place of gratitude and a place of worship. That Abraham gave a tenth because he was compelled to and not because he was commanded. And as I mentioned then, the tithe became a normal way of operation for God's people that every week, every month, they would bring their financial gifts to the tabernacle and eventually the temple. They offered the best of their resources as a gift to God, ultimately recognizing him as the creator and provider and owner of all things. But like most things, right, this type of giving, this type of living is going to fade. Over time, people started neglecting God's commands. One day then, God responded responded to the people through a prophet, the prophet Malachi, in one of the more well-known passages on giving and generosity in all of the Bible. It comes out of Malachi chapter 3, picking it up in verse 7, the last book of the Old Testament. God speaks through Malachi who says this, ever since the time of your ancestors, he's speaking to the Israelite people. He says, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are do we return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. He says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Some of the words and the phrases of that passage just jump off the screen. Phrases like, you have turned away, basically God, God notes that you've, you've, you've put your faith and your trust in other things, that your faith and trust isn't ultimately in me. I was reading this morning that according to a church development study, around 5% of people who attend church today tithe. That is, give at least 10% of their income back to the church that they attend. Have, have we turned away like the people then had turned away? 
God says, return to me and I will return. And isn't that just like the nature of our God that even when we turn our backs on him, even when we go our own rebellious ways, like he's always ready to take us back. He, he's always inviting and welcoming us back. He uses the word robbery here in what? Well, very specifically, he just says in tithes and, and offerings, you know, or, or the practice of giving, because it's, it's a command, really. It's a command given to us, an obedience issue, not, not just something for those of us that are looking to get extra credit from God or something. He says, you are under a curse. You've heard the phrase before, you reap what you sow. What I take away from this is if, if you and I, if we're not going to honor God financially, why would we expect him to bless us financially? I mean, is it any wonder so many of us, I, I've struggled at times, struggled with fear and trust when it comes to something like money. What it boils down to is this, that, that we, are, we really have one of two ways of operating financially as people, as Christians. It was true then, it's true today, that when it, when it comes to money, when it comes to managing it and giving and generosity, that you can either obey God and, and enjoy his blessings and live by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you, or you can disobey God and endure the consequences. And again, though, because God is full of grace and mercy, he always offers us a way back. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing in your lives that there will not be enough room to store it. What's the promise here? Don't miss the promise in God's word. God wants to bless you. All right, he wants to bless you and me. He wants to care for you and provide for you and, and for your family. Less fear in our lives, more trust as we turn, as we depend on him. But the choice is yours. You and I, you always have a choice. And so we must answer the question, will I honor God with my finances or choose my own way and hope that it all works out? So that's a really brief all right, backdrop, if you would, from the Old Testament on giving and tithing. And again, this concept of giving and tithing just became a way of life that extended well into the New Testament and even into the days of Jesus. But I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking to yourself, well, that's Old Testament stuff, though, right? Like, we don't do Old Testament anymore. Like, we follow Jesus. And, well, turn to the New Testament, if you would. Turn to 2 Corinthians, midway through the, the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And, and as we learned while we were studying through the book of Acts this year, 2 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul back to this young church in a city called Corinth. And, and Paul, Paul knew the Old Testament. All right, he was fully aware of the Old Testament. He knew all about Cain and Abel and Noah and Abraham. He knew the Malachi passage, but most importantly, he knew Jesus. And we can assume that what Paul learned about money and giving, he ultimately learned from Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I want you to look at how he instructs the Christians in Corinth, and I want you to see the enthusiasm and the joy and the hopefulness in it as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This was an agrarian society, all right, an agricultural society, and so the people in Corinth would have understood the references in the comparison of a foolish farmer and a wise farmer, but Paul's not talking about farming. He's talking about money. He's talking about living and giving and generosity. And what's his message? Basically, his message is this, that those who refuse to trust and honor God with their finances are like a foolish farmer that are inevitably going to miss out on God's blessings while here on this earth. 
but those who trust God and honor him with their giving are like the wise farmer and ultimately will be investing in an eternal harvest and blessings from God that are going to far exceed all of our expectations. Verse 7, he continues, he says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. By the way, Paul's not fundraising here. All right, this isn't some fundraising scheme on his part in the same way what we're talking about here at Genesis. This isn't about God getting more of your money or Genesis getting more of your money. No, what Paul is describing is a way of living, again, that's all about decreasing our dependence on things like money and resources while ultimately more of Jesus in our lives, increasing our dependence and our trust in him for all things. Again, less fear, more trust. But here's something else too. If you look back to that passage in verse seven, for those of you that maybe you're looking for a loophole when it comes to our giving, I want you to notice that Paul highlights the fact that this is a personal choice. This is between you and the Lord. And so he says, don't give reluctantly. Don't give under pressure. No, God loves a cheerful, willing giver. And so again, this is a choice. Choosing to trust and honor God again with your finances is ultimately your decision. But the promise The promise for those who obey, for those who choose his way, is this verse 8. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you and I, we will abound in every good work. Here's what it comes down to. The question that Abel had to face, the question that Noah and Abraham and Jesus and Paul and countless others have had to answer over the years when it comes to money and giving and living is just this. Do I trust God? Is my faith in what I accumulate and acquire and possess and hold on to? Or is my faith and my trust ultimately in the Lord? Do I trust my way of doing things and my ability to provide for myself or will I trust in God as my provider and as I honor him and as I seek to live according to his ways is he good for it will I trust him for everything that I need what did God say to the Israelites in the book of Malachi did you notice those words he said test me in this Nowhere else in all of scripture does God challenge us to test him like he does here when it comes to his plans for us regarding the way we view and manage money. And here's the thing, if we truly believe that God is our provider and that he wants to care for us and bless us, well, doesn't it make sense to adopt a method of living and giving that ultimately honors him first and then make it the most important thing that we do? I remember when Jenny and I took our first big step in trusting God with our regular giving. We had only been married for a couple of years. We were living in Anderson, Indiana, and I had just accepted an associate pastor position with a church in St. Joseph, Michigan. It was uh, our our first job in in ministry back in 2000, and so we were getting ready uh, to make that move, and obviously there were plenty of decisions that went into getting ready to relocate uh, our home and, and all of that, but one of the things that hit us along the way before we actually got there and got started was just this we don't give regularly to our church the church that we were attending in in Anderson at the time 
And now I'm going to be working at a church as a pastor. Like if we're going to expect people to do stuff like that, we probably better do it too, you know? And so as a young couple with not a lot of extra money, we went from giving nothing one week to giving 10% of everything that we earn to this church in Michigan the very next. And I'll just tell you something. It was hard. Uh, it was challenging. Uh, it took some adjusting. It came much easier for Jenny than it did for me. It's always been more challenging for me. If you want to know who the generous person in our house is, it's Jenny, right? And so I'm just following really what she has been doing. And so it took some trusting. But do you know what? It's one of the best and greatest decisions that we've ever made in our life. And we've been giving back to God monthly to our church and now Genesis Church for the past 15 years and counting. And God has provided for everything that we've ever needed. And sometimes he does that in abundance. He has blessed us and we are certainly not perfect. But we know the joy and the faith that comes from trusting God with our finances. And over the years, he's stretched us and he's called us to other things like he's done with many of you. We've been able to increase our giving percentage to Genesis over the past 15 years. And not only to Genesis, but we are able to give to missionaries and ministries that we love, many that our church already supports. We have found joy and so much of our trust and faith has grown through our intentional giving. But it's not just us. I know that's the story of many of you. There's another family from Genesis that was kind enough to share their story with me. Uh, here, here's what the woman wrote. She said, my husband and I grew up going to church and we knew about tithing and giving, but didn't have much personal experience with it. We both brought debt to the relationship, including student loans, car payments, building a new house and the mortgage and a significant debt from a previous relationship. We owed close to $100,000 and that didn't include our home. She says, our monthly income seemed like it was gone before it even hit our bank account, so we took Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, a course that we've offered here on a number of occasions. She says, we, do that, we did that early on in our marriage to help guide us through our financial challenges. In the midst of it, it was weighing on my heart to give to our church, to trust God with the details, even with the debt, even with our current situation. So we took a leap of faith and we started giving. She says, for many years, our finances seemed like a juggling act but we always in faith set aside money to give to the church first and then paid everything else. And doing our monthly budget, I can't tell you how many times I was in awe of how we were able to pay the monthly bills even though the math didn't seem like it would add up. God has always met our needs through job changes, extra money for fertility doctors, having babies and medical bills, paying off the debt, moving into a bigger house. God was and is in the details. Praise God, she says, we have not only paid off our debt, but are saving for the future and feeding three hungry middle schoolers in the process. Amen. All right. But in addition, she says, to giving to our church, we started sponsoring children through World Vision. We give to various ministries and give at Christmas. We don't give merely because God asks us to. We give because we know it's being used to further his kingdom, and that brings us so much joy. That's a great story. I love that story. And I know many of you have a story like that. And I'll just say, if you've ever got a story you'd love to share, even if it's just for me or our staff, uh, feel free to, to pass that along. But it's just one of the many stories of people in our church family who have made the move to trust and honor God with their finances and through their giving. But don't get me wrong. It takes faith. 
And it takes courage because if you remember, you know, going from nothing to something or taking that first big step in your life, like it takes faith and courage to get started in this giving journey. I mean, that's certainly my story. But the results, again, less fear, more trust. Like there's nothing that compares. And so my prayer for all of us is just this, that every person, what I've been praying in this series, every person who calls Genesis family is that if you're not on this giving journey with the Lord, that you're going to make a decision to get started and take a bold step and trust God. And so each week we've been using this illustration. It's not a perfect illustration. It's not science or anything like that. It's more of just hopefully putting a picture in your mind that we've all have to start somewhere. And so we call this the generosity ladder to help you identify where you are now, all right, and what a next step might look like in your giving and generosity. Two weeks ago, we talked about the important big step, a big bold step of becoming a first-time giver. It's a, a huge step, but really an important one, and it's a step that I hope that many of you will consider taking with us over these next few weeks. Last week, Steve talked about becoming a consistent giver. This is just someone who really starts giving regularly as a way of establishing a habit, a habit uh, regardless of the amount. And you might use something like the recurring giving option if you, you give online. Today, the challenge for many of you is to take the step to what we're calling becoming an intentional giver. And what distinguishes a consistent giver with an intentional giver? Well, it's really what we see in Abel and Noah and Abraham and Jesus and Paul. Intentional giving is just evidence of a growing heart and a growing sense of gratitude with God. Intentional giving means we're beginning to recognize that it all comes from him, that it all belongs to the Lord and we're just managing, and we're doing everything we can to make sure that our intentional gifts reflect just that. Like this step is where giving becomes a monthly priority for us. Our, our, our aim is to make our gift the most important thing that we do each month, and oftentimes it becomes then the first expense in our monthly budget. And, and when you get to this step, you start thinking about things. You start thinking about your giving in relation to other things. You wonder to yourself, why are we giving more to Verizon than we're giving to our church? Or why are we spending this and that on, on TV subscriptions? Why are we doing more there than we're actually returning to Jesus? This is a step where you begin to think about the percentage that you give each month and you do it as an act of faith. You're, you're taking a step of faith with the Lord. You're doing something that stretches you, but you do it because you love Jesus and you do it because you, you trust him and be, you do it because you want to see others find their way back to God in this world. And if you were to ask me where then should you start financially, I'd suggest two things to you. The first thing is this, that you would pray about it. And that's not a cop-out answer. The way that sometimes pray about it can be a cop-out answer. No, I, I think if, if the next best step you took in this series were just to simply say, you know what, I am going to prayerfully take this before the Lord. That's the greatest thing that you can do because this is a decision between you and God. And if you're married, it's got to be a joint decision. You've got to be in this together. But the second thing is this. If you're looking for a starting point, given the pattern we see in the Bible, I'd suggest 10%. 10% of your income back to the Lord through your church each month. It's where many of you are right now. It's where many of you started. It's where Jenny and I started our journey 23 years ago. 
And for some of us, this is true, 10% isn't really a challenge, especially if you've been doing it for a while, and so maybe you're ready for another step, but for others, 10% might seem impossible. And that's why it's important that you pray about it. And by all means, if God leads you to something else, do what God leads you to. But whatever it is going to be for you, the challenge, the challenge is just this. The challenge is for everyone who calls Genesis family to prayerfully and faithfully take a next step in this giving journey with us. And that's why you were handed today this take a step card. It's got two sides to it. If you picked one of these up on the way in, you might pull that out right now. If you didn't, uh, you can get one on the way out the door today. I can promise you this, you're not going to have to fill out a dollar amount and turn this in because most of this, at least the personal stuff, is between you and the Lord. But side one is just this. It's just a reminder of what each of these steps basically means, and so you can use this as review. But the second side, well, this is more of kind of your heart work. And this is a conversation between you and God. And by the way, this is for Genesis people. And so if this isn't your church, if you're just here visiting today, uh, you don't have to do this. You, you, you can do whatever you want with this card, actually. But uh, if the Lord leads you to fill it out, by all means, you can take that next step with him. But, but here's what I want to challenge you to do. The top portion is for you. All right, you're, you're not going to be asked to share this with anyone else. But it just simply says their current new method start date. And it's really yours to choose how you want to fill these in. But for me, when I'm looking at this, when I think about current, I might be thinking about what's, what's the percentage that we've been giving this past year or what's the dollar amount that we've been giving this past year. You might do the same. And then as the Lord is leading you, what might you be praying about next? What might be a new percentage or a new amount as we head into this next year? The method is ultimately, how am I going to do it? Like, am I going to give online? And so am I, I going to take the time uh, to set up an account there if I haven't currently done that with Genesis? Am I going to give using the giving boxes in the room and then the start date? Because sometimes, right, isn't it easy to come up with the idea, but if we don't hold ourselves to it and choose a start date, we might miss it. Again, the top portion is for you. But what I'm going to ask you to be prayerfully considering this next week and maybe your willingness to even share with me and to share with our elders is just your response and that's the bottom. And the bottom of this is just an opportunity for you to check a box and say this is what the, what the Lord is doing in my life. If you feel comfortable and want to, you can put your name on there, but that's optional. And you can also put your start date but if you'd feel comfortable, then you tear it off and you drop it in the giving box. I know some of you might be ready to do this today, but maybe you need to take it with you. We'll have some time in our service to do that again next week. Why turn it in? Well, maybe it's just a step of accountability for you. It's an opportunity for me, for our elders to pray for you, whether you put your name on it or not, and just to see how the Lord's moving in our church and through each of us. Jenny and I will be doing this together. Uh, I've asked our staff, I'll be asking our elders to do this. Again, this is an opportunity for all of us to respond to God's work in our lives, to take a big step as a way of saying, we trust you. Our faith and our hope is in you for all things. Because again, there is nothing like trusting God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want things like money and possessions and a desire for more to rule my life. I want more of Jesus. And I think many of you would say you want more of Jesus too. 
Let's look at this as we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 again. Let's look at these next few verses as Paul continues in his dialogue with the church here. He says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the, the harvest of your righteousness. He says, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so Paul's been talking about what it means for us personally, but now he shifts here for a moment. He says, do you even have any idea what God could collectively do through our church family as we trust him, as we give, as we become generous together? Like imagine then what could happen in this church family. I don't know if you realize it or not, you are sitting amongst a very generous church right now. God is doing some amazing things and people around you and through our prayers and through our gifts and generosity, not only here in this community, but around the world. But what could happen? Like how many missionaries could we support? How many new churches could we help fund? How many foster families could we help? This week is Giving Tuesday. We're not asking for money here at Genesis. We're giving it away. We're going to do something really special. Tuesday and Wednesday this week through our local schools. You're going to get to hear about it next week. We get to do this. We get to give these gifts because of your generosity. But the list of what God could accomplish through our collective generosity is endless. As Paul says, this service that you perform, the giving and generosity, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Basically, even through our generosity, people find their way back to Jesus. We talked about these first examples of giving in the book of Genesis, but where did the idea of giving ultimately come from? From the Lord, demonstrated for us in Jesus Christ, because Paul doesn't want to miss that verse 15 when he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Who is the greatest giver of all time? God is. What's the greatest gift that he's ever given us? His son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life so that we could have life and hope through him and trust him.